Chapter Six of Home Life in Colonial Days by Alice Moore's Earl. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Indian Corn A great field of tall Indian corn waving its stately and luxuriant green blades its graceful spindles and glossy silk under the hot august sun should be not only a beautiful sight to every american but a suggestive one one to set us thinking of all that indian corn means to us in our history it was a native of american soil at the settlement of this country and under full and thoroughly intelligent cultivation by the indians who were also native sons of the new world its abundance adaptability and nourishing qualities not only saved the colonists lives but altered many of their methods of living especially their manner of cooking and their tastes in food one of the first things that every settler in a new land has to learn is that he must find food in that land that he cannot trust long to any supplies of food which he has brought with him or to any fresh supplies which he has ordered to be sent after him he must turn at once to hunting fishing planting to furnish him with food grown and found in the very place where he is this was quickly learned by the colonists in america except in virginia where they had sad starving times before all were convinced that corn was a better crop for settlers than silk or any of the many hoped-for productions which might be valuable in one sense but which could not be eaten pohontan the father of the indian princess pocahontas was one of the first to send some of his people that they may teach the english how to sow the grain of his country captain john smith ever quick to learn of every one and ever practical got two indians in the year sixteen o eight to show him how to break up and plant forty acres of corn which yielded him a good crop a succeeding governor of virginia sir thomas dale equally practical intelligent and determined assigned small farms to each colonist 
and encouraged and enforced the growing of corn soon many thousand bushels were raised there was a terrible indian massacre in sixteen twenty two for the careless colonists in order to be free to give their time to the raising of that new and exceedingly alluring and high-priced crop tobacco had given the indians firearms to go hunting game for them and the lesson of easy killing with powder and shot when once learned was turned with havoc upon the white men the following year comparatively little corn was planted as the luxuriant foliage made a perfect ambush for the close approach of the savages to the settlements there was of course scarcity and famine as the result and a bushel of cornmeal became worth twenty to thirty shillings which some had a value equal to twenty to thirty dollars today the planters were each compelled by the magistrates the following year to raise an ample amount of corn to supply all the families and to save a certain amount for seed as well there has been no lack of corn since that time in virginia the french colonists in louisiana perhaps because they were accustomed to more dainty food than the english fiercely hated corn as have the irish in our own day a band of french women settlers fairly raised a petticoat rebellion in revolt against its daily use a dispatch of the governor of louisiana says of these rebels the men in the colony begin through habit to use corn as an article of food but the women who are mostly parisians have for this food a dogged aversion which has not been subdued they inveigh bitterly against his grace the bishop of quebec who they say has enticed them away from home under pretext of sending them to enjoy the milk and honey of the land of promise this hatred of corn was shared by other races an old writer says peter martyr could magnify the spaniards of whom he reports they led a miserable life for three days together with parched grain of maize only which when compared with the diet of new england settlers for weeks at a time seemed such a bagatelle as to be scarce worth the mention of peter martyr by tradition still commemorated at forefathers dinners the ration of indian corn 
supplied to each person in the colony in time of famine was but five kernels the stores brought over by the pilgrims were poor and inadequate enough the beef and pork were tainted the fish rotten and the butter and cheese corrupted european wheat and seeds did not mature well soon as bradford says in his now famous log-book in his picturesque and forcible english the grim and grizzled face of starvation stared at them the readiest supply to replenish the scanty larder was fish but the english made surprisingly bungling work over fishing and soon the most unfailing and valuable supply was the native indian corn or guinea wheat or turkey wheat as it was called by the colonists famine and pestilence had left eastern massachusetts comparatively bare of inhabitants at the time of the settlement of plymouth and the vacant cornfields of the dead indian cultivators was taken and planted by the weak and emaciated plymouth men who never could have cleared new fields from the teeming sea in the april run of fish was found the needed fertilizer says governor bradford in april of the first year they began to plant their corn in which service squanto stood them in great stead showing them both the manner how to set it and after how to dress and tend it from this planting sprang not only the most useful food but the first and most pregnant industry of the colonists the first fields and crops were communal and the result was disastrous the third year at the site of the paralyzed settlement governor bradford wisely decided as did governor dale of virginia that they should set corn every man for his own particular furnishing a portion for public officers fishermen etc who could not work and in that regard trust to themselves thus personal energy succeeded to communal inertia bradford wrote that women and children cheerfully worked in the fields to raise corn which should be their very own a field of corn on the coast of massachusetts or narragansett or the rivers of virginia growing long before any white man had ever been seen on these shores was precisely like the field planted three hundred years later by our american farmers there was the same planting in hills the same number of stalks in the hills with pumpkin vines running among the hills and beans climbing the stalks 
the hills of the indians were a trifle nearer together than those of our own day are usually set for the native soil was more fertile the indians taught the colonists much more than the planting and raising of corn they showed also how to grind the corn and cook it in many palatable ways the various foods we use today made from the indian corn are all cooked just as the indians cooked them at the time of the settlement of the country and they are still called with indian names such as hominy pone suppon samp succotash the indian method of preparing maize or corn was to steep or parboil it in hot water for twelve hours then to pound the grain in a mortar or a hollowed-out stone in the field till it was a coarse meal it was then sifted in a rather closely woven basket and the large grains which did not pass through the sieve were again pounded and sifted samp was often pounded in olden times in a primitive and picturesque indian mortar made of a hollowed block of wood or a stump of a tree which had been cut off about three feet from the ground the pestle was a heavy block of wood shaped like the inside of the mortar and fitted with a handle attached to one side this block was fastened to the top of a young and slender tree a growing sapling which was bent over and thus gave a sort of spring which pulled the pestle up after being pounded down on the corn this was called a sweep and mortar mill they could be heard at a long distance two new hampshire pioneers made clearings about a quarter of a mile apart and built houses there was an impenetrable gully and thick woods between the cabins and the blazed path was a long distance around so the wives of the settlers seldom saw each other or any other woman it was a source of great comfort and companionship to them both that they could signal to each other every day by pounding on their mortars and they had an ingenious system of communication which one spring morning summoned one to the home of the other where she arrived in time to be the first to welcome fine twin babies after these simple stump and sapling mortars were abandoned elsewhere they were used on long island and it was jestingly told that sailors in a fog could always know on what shore they were when they could hear the pounding of the samp mortars on long island rude hand-mills next were used which were called quarns or quarns some are still in existence and known as samp mills windmills followed 
of which the Indians were much afraid, dreading their long arms and great teeth biting the corn in pieces and thinking some evil spirit turned the arms. As soon as maize was plentiful, English mills for grinding meal were started in many towns. There was a windmill at Watertown, Massachusetts, in 1631. In 1633, the first watermill at Dorchester was built, and in Ipswich, a gristmill was built in 1635. The mill built by Governor John Winthrop in New London is still standing. The first windmill erected in America was one built and set up by Governor Yeardley in Virginia in 1621. By 1649, there were five watermills, four windmills, and a great number of horse and hand mills in Virginia. Millers had one-sixth of the meal they ground for toll. Suppon was another favorite of the settlers, and was an Indian dish made from Indian corn. It was a thick corn meal and milk porridge. It was soon seen on every Dutch table, for the Dutch were very fond of all food made from all kinds of grain, and it is spoken of by all travelers in early New York and in the southern colonies. Samp and samp porridge were soon abundant dishes. Samp is Indian corn pounded to a coarsely ground powder. Roger Williams wrote of it. Gnaw samp is a kind of meal pottage, unparched. From this the English call their samp, which is the Indian corn beaten and boiled and eaten hot or cold with milk and butter and is a diet exceedingly wholesome for English bodies. The Swedish scientist, Professor Kalm, told that the Indians gave him fresh maize bread, baked in an oblong shape, mixed with dried huckleberries, which lay as close in it as raisins in a plum pudding. Roger Williams said that Sakwatahash was corn seethed like beans. Our word succotash we now apply to corn cooked with beans. Pones were the red men's apones. The love of the Indians for roasting ears was quickly shared by the white man. In Virginia, a series of plantings of corn were made from the first of April to the last of June to afford a three-month succession of roasting ears. The straveler Strachey, writing of the Indians in 1618, said, They lapped their corn in rolls within the leaves of the cum, and so boiled 
that for a dainty this method of cooking we have also retained to the present day it seemed to me very curious to read in governor winthrop's journal written in boston about sixteen thirty that when the corn was parched as he called it it turned inside out and was white and flowery within and to think that then little english children were at that time learning what popcorn was and how it looked when it was parched or popped hasty pudding had been made in england of wheat flour or oatmeal and milk and the name was given to boiled puddings of cornmeal and water it was not a very suitable name for cornmeal should never be cooked hastily but requires long boiling or baking the hard indian pudding slightly sweetened and boiled in a bag was everywhere made it was told that many new england families had three hundred and sixty-five such puddings in a year the virtues of johnny cake have been loudly sung in the interesting pages of shepherd tom the way the corn should be carried to the mill the manner in which it should be ground the way in which the stones should revolve and the kind of stones receive minute description as does the mixing and the baking to the latter of which the middle board of red oak from the head of a flour barrel is indispensable as a bake-board while the fire to bake with must be of walnut logs hasty pudding corn dumplings and corn-meal porridge so eminently good that it was ever mentioned with respect in the plural as them porridge all are described with the exuberant joyousness of a happy healthful old age in remembrance of a happy high-spirited and healthful youth the harvesting of corn afforded one of the few scenes of gaiety in the lives of the colonists a diary of one ames of dedham massachusetts in the year seventeen sixty seven thus describes a corn husking and most ungallantly says not of the red ear and attendant oscillation made a husking entertainment possibly this leaf may last a century and fall into the hands of some inquisitive person for whose entertainment i will inform him that now there is a custom among us of making an entertainment a huskin of indian corn whereto all the neighboring swains are invited and after the corn is finished they like the hottentots give three cheers or huzzas but cannot carry in the husks without a rum bottle they feign great exertion but do nothing till rum enlivens them then all is done in a trice 
then after a hearty meal about ten at night they go to their pastimes there was one way of eating corn which was spoken of by all the early writers and travellers which we should not be very well satisfied with now but it shows us how useful and necessary corn was at that time and how much all depended on it this preparation of corn was called no-cake or new-kick an old writer named wood thus defined it it is indian corn parched in the hot ashes the ashes being sifted from it it is afterwards beaten to powder and put into a long leathern bag trussed at the indian's back like a knapsack out of which they take three spoonfuls a day it was held to be the most nourishing food known and in the smallest and most condensed form both indians and white men usually carried it in a pouch when they went on long journeys and mixed it with snow in winter and water in summer gookin says it was sweet toothsome and hearty with only this nourishment the indians could carry loads fitter for elephants than men roger williams says a spoonful of this meal and water made him many a good meal when we read this we are not surprised that the pilgrims could keep alive on what is said was one time of famine their food for a day five kernels of corn apiece the apostle eliot in his indian bible always used the word nukik for the english words flour or meal we ought to think of the value of food in those days and we may be sure the governor and his council thought corn of value when they took it for taxes and made it a legal currency just like gold and silver and forbade any one to feed it to pigs if you happen to see the price of corn during those years down to revolutionary times you will perhaps be surprised to see how much the price varied from ten shillings a bushel in sixteen thirty one to two shillings in sixteen seventy two to twenty in seventeen forty seven to two in seventeen fifty one and one hundred shillings at the opening of the revolution in these prices of corn as in the price of all articles at this time the difference was in the money which had a constantly changing value not in the article itself or its usefulness the corn had a steady value it always furnished just so much food and really was a standard itself rather than measured and valued by the poor and shifting money there are many other interesting facts connected with the early culture of corn of the finding hidden in caves or catches in the ground the indian's corn which he had stored for seed of the sacred corn dances of the indians 
that the first patent granted in england to an american was to a philadelphia woman for the mill to grind a kind of hominy of the great profit to the colonists in corn raising for the careless and greedy indians always ate up all their corn as soon as possible then had to go out and trap beavers in the woods to sell the skins to the colonists for corn to keep them from starving one colonist planted about eight bushels of seed corn he raised from this eight hundred and sixty-four bushels of corn which he sold to the indians for beaver skins which gave him a profit of three hundred twenty-seven pounds many games were played with the aid of kernels of corn fox and geese checkers hull gull how many and games in which the corn served as counters the ears of corn were often piled into the attic until the floor was a foot deep with them i once entered an l bedroom in a massachusetts farmhouse where the walls rafters and four-post bedstead were hung solid with ears of yellow corn which truly made a sunshine in a shady place some of the preparation of corn fell upon the boys it was their regular work all winter in the evening firelight to shell corn from the ears by scraping them on the iron edge of the wooden shovel or on the fire peel my father told me that even in his childhood in the first quarter of this century many families of moderate means fastened the long-handled frying-pan across a tub and drew the corn ears across the sharp edge of the handle of the pan i note in peter parley's reminiscences of his childhood a similar use of a frying-pan handle in his home other farmers set the edge of a knife-blade in a piece of wood and scraped on the back of the blade in some households the corn was pounded into hominy in wooden mortars an old corn sheller used in western massachusetts is here shown when the corn was shelled the cobs were not carelessly discarded or disregarded they were stored often in a lean-to or loft in the kitchen ell from thence they were brought down in skypes or boxes about a bushel at a time and after being used by the children as playthings to build cob-houses were employed as light wood for the fire they had a special use in many households for smoking hams and their smoke was deemed to impart a specially delightful flavor to hams and bacon one special use of corn should be noted by order of the government of massachusetts bay in sixteen twenty three it was used as ballots in public voting at annual elections of the governor's assistance in each town a kernel of corn was deposited to signify a favorable vote upon the nominee while a bean signified a negative vote 
and if any free man shall put in more than one indian corn or bean he shall forfeit for every such offence ten pounds the choice of a national flower or plant is much talked about to-day aside from the beauty of maize when growing and its wonderful adaptability in every part for decoration would not the noble and useful part played by indian corn in our early history entitle it to be our first choice End of chapter 6